What's up, everyone, and welcome into the Buffalo Sports Collective. It is July 11th, 2022. Phil, uh, we got quite a show to talk about here. I know we say multiple times that the NHL draft is not that important to us, and it's a lot more important to the people that are actually covering it and know what they're talking about, and the Buffalo Sabres themselves. But I did catch myself being very excited. I watched the whole first round of the draft after we got done recording. I watched all three picks from the Buffalo Sabres, and then I even kept track of it. And uh, man, did the second to seventh round move quick, or was it just me? Because they were done by the time I was done with work. So they got done with six rounds in about three, four hours. It was insane. And why can't the other leagues go that quickly? Yeah, I understand. Don't get me wrong. This is like a a huge moment for these players. But outside of the first round, most of them are not in the building. So once you're past the first round, and I know there's a little bit more fanfare with the first round, it takes a little bit longer. You get a little bit more of the introductions. And like you said, that you don't like all of the millions of thanks and, you know, thanking the organization, the fans, everybody and everything and they just take forever to make these picks but outside the first round like you just said like why can't it just go quick like none of them are in the building so you might get a few live streams to players here and there but other than that just pick just make your picks like especially in the NHL where there's not going to be as many trades I think the NFL might have a little bit more trades so you might be a little bit slower in the NFL even still I think that just the way they handled it and just how quickly the picks go toward the end is fantastic. Like, you know, like you just said, I mean, you're, you're getting your second round pick and then you're like, Oh man, I got to wait forever. But in the NHL this year, especially it was just very fast. Like, Oh, the Sabres are not only up, but they, Oh, and they have a pick. Okay. And then we're under the four. Oh, and they picked again. Like it was just, it was exciting. It keeps you more engaged than, you know, like, Oh, we got our second round pick. That's great. Now we have to wait, you know, another three hours before our third round pick shows up. So I think it's just a a better way to keep everybody engaged. And I think you're more likely to kind of stick around with the entire event if your team is on the clock that much faster. So I think just even for the organization of the NHL, I think it just helps keep fans engaged that they don't have to wait that much longer between picks. So you can just kind of keep an eye on the draft the whole time. And even if you're watching it live, it's like you don't really want to switch off or you don't need to switch off because it's just not as long between picks so you got to get a better feel for things a better feel for the other players that are being picked around the league like oh you know maybe you had a guy you were kind of keeping an eye on for the sabers and you know see if he falls but other than that like keeping it that much faster i think just keeps everybody more engaged yeah, we usually bash the NHL when they do stupid stuff. We we bash a lot of leagues. I mean, we just bashed the NLL last show. But when you uh, do what right, and uh, we'll give you credit for it. And I thought they handled the all all seven rounds. Even the first round went pretty quick. I mean, you, you still expect it to go a little bit slower because the players are there. They got to go up to the front, get their jerseys and everything, and they earn that. And it completely understands. But I think it helps that there's only five minutes between picks, and they start the clock right after. The, the everybody leaves the stage so you get a full five minutes there I think that's the perfect way to run it I wouldn't change the first round whatsoever the second round through the seventh round I thought they handled it perfect like it's just rapid fire like you said like the NFL when they go rounds four through seven you're like oh sweet yeah we got a wide receiver here and then you got to wait an hour or two for your next pick and I know the Sabres had eight picks in rounds two through seven so you know there's a lot of picks that come up but it just seemed like you said every half an hour you get another pick and it's just exciting four hours where you're just waiting around for your next guy to see okay cool we'll see this guy in three to four years but it's just exciting to see another player in that quickly that rapid i completely agree but if you want to follow along with us 
You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Buffalo Sports Collective and on Twitter at Buffalo Sports Co. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel wherever you listen to podcasts. Check out our website at buffalosportscollective.com and look for the time breakdowns in the description of the show so you can skip around as you please. Like, uh, you know, we got Bison's next series for the Bison's and the Sabres to talk about. So you can look for the breakdown there and just skip around if you don't want to hear about the Bison's or the Sabres. Just, uh, we make it easy for you, Phil. We make it easy for everybody out there. We're trying to be accommodating. It's but for the we'll, fans. Uh, for the fans, for the fans, for the listeners, for whoever you want to call yourself, the BSCites. Well, I guess yeah, we don't have really a work, groupy name yet. We'll get there. We'll we don't. There. We don't. We don't. Well, one day, one day. If anybody out there, we still we're still looking for the award show <laughs> name say. too. One that, thing at yeah, a time. We're still looking for yeah, one thing at a time. But we'll start with the Bisons. Phil, this is going to be a very gross one to talk about, and it's been gross the last two series. But Thursday they lost three to two because why not? It it seems to be the case right now for the Buffalo Bisons. They were down three nothing after five. The Bisons did chip away and get it down to one with solo shots from both Young and Pacul. Algary was the one that took the loss in this one. He gave up two earned runs in two and one-third of an inning, and they've lost nine of ten. But Friday, Phil, they won six to one, a three-run first and a three-run third. Did the damage as the Bisons take their second win in just 11 games. Yes, but it is exciting. They did get a victory here. Friday night bash. It is fun. Five relievers got them through the nine innings with K picking up the win. Grossens went two for four with an RBI. Lopez went two for four. Young one for three with two, two RBIs. And Tally one for three with three RBIs. And then, Phil, the weekend came, and it was no good whatsoever. They lost both games 4-2. to two. But Saturday, they held a one nothing lead until the eighth inning when the Mets would put up four. Esert gave up one, and Yardell gave up three and ruined the nice start from your boy Thomas Hatch. He went five innings pitch of just four hit ball, but Horwitz, the guy that you just picked up in the BSC, which I think I should have fought you for, he had three of the team's only four hits including his first triple a home run congrats to him he's a heck of a player right now i mean he's coming out very strong and it usually takes players a bit of time to adjust to triple a ball he has not needed any time whatsoever and then sunday like i said they lost four to two they lost the series five to two they've lost 11 of the last 13 games seven relief pitchers in this one this team desperately needs some starting pitching and I know Lawrence and Castillo have been called up and sent down and called up and sent down, and they have not been able to start in a while. And I feel like that has, you know, taken a toll on the relievers. But it's just, it was an ugly series. It's been two ugly series in a row, and hopefully they can get right on their next series. I think, like, one of the things you got to keep an eye on, which is something we've been mentioning with these relief pitching games where they have so many go, especially, like you said, Sunday was seven in that game. But even. The hatch start where he was able to go five innings, but then you ruin it in the eighth inning, you know, just kind of give that lead right back and then you cannot recover. I think, or at least I wonder if part of that is simply because they're using so many relief pitching games that these pitchers are just, you know, they're burnt out. They're just pitching way more than they're supposed to be. I mean, relief pitching for the most part, you're supposed to get one or two innings every couple of games and that's how you kind of stay fresh with those guys they're not players that are supposed to really be getting every single day called into the game especially not for two three innings and you just got to wonder how burnt out this bullpen is and you just mentioned that Lawrence and Castillo are both up and down up and down so they haven't really had two of their what three starting pitchers that are really on this team but I think that also just shows that you don't even have that five man rotation right now at all even if those guys were here you still only have, at best, a three-man rotation with Francis finally getting a pretty good start under his belt, so maybe he can start, you know, kind of filling in one of those roles again like he really should be. 
But for the most part, they just don't have starting pitching. I think that's just starting to really burn out your bullpen. So in these closer games that are 4-2 and then 4-2 again with those seven relief pitchers in the Sunday game, you just you need your starters. You need starters. I mean, just in general, this team needs starters. You need your starters to go deeper into games. I mean, Hatch going five innings of just four hit ball is a very good start. And then to see the bullpen give it up is just a real shame, especially for a team that is just desperate for wins right now. I know they're still obviously in the fight for first place. They're not falling off the face of the planet just yet, despite losing 11 to 13. But pitching seems to be the glaring hole. And on top of that, you just said Saturday and Sunday, they only put up two runs in both of those. Thursday, they only put up two runs. So again, the offense also really needs to get going. Pretty much the whole team is just in a major drought right now between pitching and hitting. Yeah, I know Blue Jays have been hurting in the pitching department, and that definitely has taken a toll on the Bisons, and you're kind of seeing that with the last two series. I mean, you're winning two games out of the 13 possible. It's it's not a good way to handle it, and I know you know they're they're still hanging around the in the standings altogether, but it, it's I I, I want to point out some good notes because it hasn't been you know that fun of the last two games they're still only two and a half games back of durham for first place in the il east so with this horrible horrible stretch they're on they're still right in it so i mean it's still july that's why we've been saying there's still so many games i think they're only like halfway through the season right now maybe a little bit more than halfway but there's still so much time left i want to point out two guys i thought young was playing very well the first half of the series he kind of slipped off a bit he's getting his average up it looks like he's getting more comfortable in triple a but like i mentioned horwitz he has come on very strong lately. He's hitting 391 so far. He just got called up for that Wednesday game. So in, what is that, one, two, three, four, five, six games, he's hitting 391. Just incredible. Got that monkey off his back with the first uh, home run of the of his uh, AAA season so far, his AAA career. But also, I think the one other guy that I would like to try to see right, Anthony Kay. He picked up the win on Fridays and uh, Friday's outing. Yes, it was in a relief appearance, but... He struggled a lot last year in AAA. He struggled a lot this year in AAA. He's got a ballooned ERA over nine. But if he can get right, and I know we're we're trying to find starting pitchers out of here, and Francis even went in two innings relief in Sundays of no run ball. So credit to him, four more strikeouts and six opportunities. So it seems like he's slowly getting right. The last two outings, he's been pretty good. If you can try to manage somehow to get four or five, six innings out of some of these guys that can go that distance. Anthony can, can, Francis can go that long. Anderson can go that long. Just try to give this bullpen some, you know, break whatsoever. But also these hitters did not really come out to play. I mean, they got outscored 29 to 25 in runs. So yes, it's very close. And that's how the Buffalo Bisons have been playing all year long. It's just small ball the entire time, low scoring games. This last two series just seemed to come back to haunt them. But I would love to see them be able to throw out a pitcher that can go like Hatch did. Five innings pitched, great, but the bullpen blew it, yes. But the bullpen might have blew it because, like you just said, they're just so tired because they're not used to going out every other day. You're just tearing this bullpen apart. And I know I'm not blaming Candell. I'm not blaming the Bisons whatsoever. It's just unluck draw because you're a triple-A team and you're getting just ravaged by the Blue Jays. I completely understand that, but... You got to find out some kind of system where you can just throw out a guy one of these nights and just say, hey, no matter what happens, I, I if, you, if you're struggling, whatever, I need four to five innings from you. I need a bullpen break. And that's what Hatch did. He played great. But it's just you need at least two to three of these each series. Six games where you're going all bullpen is just too much for him. 
I think these uh, 11 of 13 losses, we can just title it the uh, relief pitching needs relief. And I, I think, yes. and like you said, though, with Kay and Anderson and Francis, like, I think just they need to switch their strategy overall because yes. the, the bullpen absolutely needs relief. And I think exactly what you just said at the very end there is exactly what they need to do is give these players who at least were starting pitching or are starting pitchers just force them to go four or five innings and really just give your bullpen a little bit of a break. I think you just need these guys. You need to get back to a at least four, if not five man rotation. And whatever happens, happens like these are starting pitchers that in their career have had plenty of starting pitching underneath them and they they have the ability to do it and you're just not giving them the chance. I know a lot of times, you know, like like we said with Francis, he's been struggling, so maybe they're just trying to stretch him out slowly, but you just have to throw some of these guys into the fire and just hope that it works out because your bullpen just is not cutting it. Your offense is not cutting it to, you know, give the bullpen any relief that you can kind of have some of these starting pitchers go because your offense isn't able to, you know, put up the runs to kind of, if your starting pitching has a bad day, you're like, oh, okay, we can at least have our offense pick it up because they're not there for that either. But you need to give this bullpen a relief, even if it's just for one series. If you have your next six-game series and you run a five-man rotation and just get four or five innings out of these starting pitchers, no matter what happens, and give them the opportunity to be starting pitchers again and just give that bullpen a little bit of a rest. I think you're pretty much just at the point where, again, you've lost 11 of 13, so what is switching it up really going to hurt? I mean, you've only won in the other way around. You've only won two of the last 13, so you can't really go too much worse than what you've been doing. So why not kind of switch up your strategy and you know give these starting pitchers a chance to really stretch themselves out and go four or five innings to give that bullpen a bit of a relief and also, like you said, we're not really blaming the Bisons. We're not blaming Candel. This is just the nature of being a AAA team. You're here to develop prospects and get the wins if you can. And, I mean, just Toronto is going through quite a rough stretch with injuries. So it's going to happen. I mean, this is just what happens in AAA. And sometimes you just get into a spot where you don't have the depth on your team that you need to really compete. And, like you said, overall, despite all of this kind of negativity, they are only two and a half back. So... Still right there for first place. They just really need a get-right series. We've been asking for it for a couple series now where they, we think that they've had decent chances going up against some of these teams that just don't seem to be as strong as they are, but they have not been able to come away with the wins, and they just still need that get-right series. At least a split, if not a 4-2 coming up in the next series would be great. The other thing that would be great is getting some of these hitters back. I mean, Tanner Morris, Samad Taylor... Vinny Capra and all and Nathan Lucas all need to get back off that injured reserve, and it, it'll be a nice boost to the lineup if they can get those four guys back that you know were constants in the lineup when they were healthy. If you can get four, I mean, four of the nine starters who are usually in the lineup are now out, and that is not only it does it stink that you don't have any starting pitching, but now you're the hitters who you were relying on to cover that bullpen that, you know, has been ransacked over and over and over are now out of the lineup. So it's just, it's the perfect storm for the Bisons in the worst way possible where your hitters are going down, they're getting called up, they're getting injured. You don't have any relief in that area. Then your starting pitchers who you were able to rely on. I mean, Casey Lawrence and Max Castillo were, you know, some of the top performers in all of the AAA uh, pitching staffs like uh, the entire league and now you don't have them so you got to try to find different ways to do it but I think and we're going to put this out into the universe Phil because for some reason whenever we say it 
they're they're usually like a week or two behind but it sometimes does it so hopefully if we put this out there now they can fix it just throw out three to four guys get your bullpen arrest four to five innings no matter what get them through it if you give up nine runs you're pitching four innings regardless like figure it out and then you can give your bullpen a break but some of these guys that are able to go the distance need to step up and just go hey you're going out there regardless, and and you're getting us a couple innings so we can get a rest. But BSC update right now, Phil, and uh, you might not be very happy about it, but I am out 26-29.9 to 23-11.68, and uh, better breakdown here. I scored 19.5 the last four games. You put up 16.5, and I know you're thinking, wow, that stinks, but I got a call up with uh, Castillo again, so 15 of those 19.5 were from that. Yeah, I actually had a, a pretty good series, especially the the one game with Hatch and Horowitz just pretty much taking over the entire game of anything positive that the Bisons did. So overall, with you getting a 15 spot on a call up and me only losing by three points, not bad, not bad. If it does help, I'm running out a lineup currently with three hitters, two pitchers like we both are. But I only have one hitter that is healthy and I don't have any pitchers that are currently on the team right now. This is my chance. I think uh, next series, I'm just going to get 300 points. <laughs> eh, you'd still be losing, but it would be it would cut it closer. Yeah, yeah you'd it'd be a, a good start. Closer. It'd be a good start. But are you making any changes to your team, or are you rolling out the same five? No, I think we're going to roll out the same five. They're uh, they're doing all right. They're doing all right. That's fair. Yeah, I'm doing the same thing. I'm uh, I'm loving the call-ups between Lawrence and Castillo. They're pretty much getting sent down break they're calling somebody else up and then they're making the switch again and that's another 15 points i'm getting the beasley effect from you right yeah now. so thanks you took it me. over but you took it I over did. two players <laughs> i did i did i did but uh yeah hopefully lucas and taylor get back pretty soon because i would like them and i think the biases will like them too but the next series they're traveling out to iowa versus the iowa cubs they won the first series four to two to open the year if you remember you know it was that weird east versus west coast start to triple a but the cubs right now are 37 and 46 buffalo is coming in at 43 and 41 cubs have the third lowest in the il west with 389 runs scored buffalo is second lowest in the east at 353 so both teams, low-scoring teams, but for the runs against, Cubs are allowing 424 runs against, while Buffalo is second lowest in the IL, IL East at 359. So, again, Buffalo don't score runs, they don't give up runs, and then the Cubs put up a bit more runs, but they also give up a lot more runs. It's interesting that we keep bringing up that the Buffalo Bisons have the second lowest allowed runs Despite how much we hate these, you know, bullpen games and everything, the yes. the bullpen is keeping it pretty close as best as they can. And a lot of this last series was mainly offense more than the pitching. I mean, allowing three runs and then one run and then four runs and then four runs. It's really not terrible. It's kind of what you'd hope for from your starting and relief pitching kind of combined. You'd hope to keep it, I would say, four and under. So a lot of it's been the offense and a lot of that's been injuries again. So as much as we have been ripping on the bullpen games, this last series, especially against a weaker team, they did do okay other than the one where they kind of blew the game, which is unfortunate. But again, that kind of comes from being burnt out a little bit. But overall, the pitching and the defense really hasn't been too, too bad. It's been a lot more of the offense. And I think a lot of the pitching kind of damage would be looked over if the offense was able to put up five six seven runs a game which is a lot to ask for for any team but even every once in a while if they were able to do it especially in this last series if you put up five runs even you know two of those last four or three of those last four you win the game so 
I think a lot of it is on the offense, but it's still great to see the overall ERA and just runs allowed by Buffalo still so low because, like we said, they also do not score any runs. So we'll dive into more stats now for the overall team, and this is just the IL East and West rankings. So Iowa comes in fifth in average in the IL at 256, and Buffalo is down in 18th at 240. ERA now for Iowa, they're 12th at 472. Buffalo somehow is still in third at 411. Now hit by pitches, this is one that I didn't look into until just you know creating this docket. Iowa has hit the second most batters at 55. Buffalo is fifth though at 48, and then this is the one where it gets a little weird you would think hit by pitches would correlate to you know walks which Iowa does they're still second in walks at three uh 368 but Buffalo they're way down at 19th at 271 so Buffalo is high like top five in hitting batters but they're down at the bottom two in walking guys. That's that's a weird stat. I did I thought it was going to be a better correlation than that, but it's not. And then I uh, averages allowed. Iowa is seventh at two forty two. Buffalo is second at two thirty one in the good department and not allowing you know high averages. The Iowa average for just how they're hitting, being fifth in the league. I know baseball's kind of silly or a little a little weird. I guess we'll put it that way. And just. The fact that the Bisons are only 16 hitting points off of Iowa's average and one is 18th and one is 5th, but the fact that they're being able to hit 256 is a pretty solid average for a team. 240 doesn't look nearly as nice, but overall, just seeing that they can hit okay is pretty interesting, I think, going into the series, especially with the Bisons pitching still doing quite well, like you mentioned, but the fact that Iowa's average against is 242 and Buffalo is at that's at seventh and Buffalo is at second with 233. That one, again, a little bit of a difference, but Iowa seems like a, a decently well-rounded team despite, again, despite their record. It's another kind of series where we're seeing that their, their stats aren't exactly lining up with how well they're playing. I mean, fifth in the league with hitting and seventh in the league with um, ERA against. I mean, both of those are obviously top seven in the entire league. So to see them with an under 500 record is just, it's a little curious and something that, again, I don't think the Bisons can really take for granted. And at the same time, like you mentioned, I think they might have to wear a little extra armor going into the series and uh, yes. make sure, make sure they don't get hit. You know, maybe, maybe wear the shin guard, the elbow guard, the, what, what else do they got? They got the, the ear guard. That's another one. The, oh, is it the jaw? Is that the one that has like the one that sticks yeah, out? Yeah, the thing that the comes jaw. out in front yeah, of them. Yeah, we got the jaw guard. Yep. I think that's it. It's pretty much elbow, shin, and jaw. Is that that, that about the, the armor you can pick Sounds up? Sounds about right. Yeah, yeah. Well, hopefully yeah, just, all of them uh, wear all of them. Watch your face. Watch your face. Yeah, Duck. Uh, yeah. Go up there with catcher's gear and hope for the best. But there's three players that you got to keep an eye on. Dixon Machado, uh, shortstop hitting 291, one home run, and 22 RBIs. He's kind of that small ball guy, you know, typical shortstop who doesn't have a ton of power but hits for average. Robel Garcia, third baseman, hitting 295 with 12 home runs and 30 RBIs. He's their main hitter that you got to worry about. And then the ace of the staff, Caleb Killen. I believe, believe that's how you pronounce his Killian? name. He's 13 starts. Killian. Thank you. That sounds better. Sure, uh, starting pitcher, 13 starts, 2-1, and one, which is weird. 13 starts are only 2-1. and one. I guess the bullpen either blows games or, uh, <laughs> you know, he uh, it's, uh, it's the Bison's A lot of Bison's no decisions, effect, I guess yeah. you A lot of no decisions. He's uh, got a 3.83 ERA. The two hitters, definitely something you're going to want to keep an eye out for. I mean, 291, 295, no matter what league you're in is absolutely impressive especially Garcia with those 12 home runs and 30 RBIs on top of that 
And then, yeah, like you just mentioned, Killian having a pretty good season. I mean, 2-1 and one is a very strange record. It's one of the weirder things about pitching stats is sometimes they have like a, a 13, 14, 15 win season, and that's a really good season, and some other players have a three-win season despite the fact that their stats are absolutely incredible. The team just isn't there to back them up. So wins and losses for starting pitching is pretty much just a non-factor in just their stats. It's a very strange stat for baseball because, again, Starting pitchers have so many no decisions, as you're seeing there. He has three decisions of his 13 starts, so 10 no decisions. I mean, that's just it's a weird stat. It's a very weird stat when you really think about it. But overall, I think Iowa is going to be a, 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 good, a good kind of competition for Buffalo. And hopefully, once again, we're, we're going to say it, I guess, every single series until we get it. Hopefully, it's a get-right series for the Bisons, and they can come away with a positive series. Three and three, at the very least, would be nice. But four and two, coming away with a positive series for the first time in a little bit would be really good for the team. So that pretty much closes out the Bison segment. And, uh, you know, they got a big series coming up. I said that last time on their Monday show that they had a big series against Syracuse to get right. They didn't. So uh, I'm just going to say they have a big series. I'm not going to say it's time to get right, but they have a big series. So we'll move on to the Buffalo Sabres. A lot to talk about here. They have re-signed two of their RFAs. They still got a couple more in the in the system they're trying to work out. But they uh, re-signed Brandon Byro to a two-year deal. He had 41 points in 48 games with Rochester last year, 12 goals, 29 assists. And then just down the line here when we started recording about a half an hour ago Jacob Bryson two-year deal worth 1.85 million dollars he had 10 points last year in 73 games and a former fourth round pick so uh as we dive into the draft picks here uh it, it seems like the Buffalo Sabres have nailed some of their later picks recently I'm not saying he's a superstar not even a top four defenseman but having a guy who got drafted in the fourth round a smaller guy be able to earn another deal with the Buffalo Sabres I think it shows that their their scouting and their draft department are finally working out and they're able to bring in some guys deeper in the draft and that can contribute to the team Bryson's been someone that I've always liked on this team and like you said he's not a top four guy but he's a very solid rotational bottom six or that seventh defender I think he does add a little bit of speed a little bit of offense on the defensive side and he is a, a pretty good player and especially for a two-year deal worth 1.85. You're paying him absolutely nothing to be on this team. So I think getting him for that deal, I mean, like you said, a decent raise for him either way. I mean, he's making more than he was. So good for him, good for the player, and good for the team because I do like him as a player. I do like that they were able to bring him back on a good kind of extremely team-friendly deal to me. I think he might be worth a little bit more than that, but good to see that the defensive Some of the defensive stars on this team are coming back. Even if he is a bottom six guy, I do think he had a pretty good role on this team. And I think he does what he does well in that bottom six. He does really well. So I think it's a a very good re-sign of him. And then Biro, I mean, we'll see what he can end up being. I mean, I'm guessing he will go right back to Rochester. But 41 points in 48 games is a pretty solid season. He's definitely a good re-sign as well to kind of see if he can continue developing with Rochester. And at the very least, you have someone down in Rochester to kind of continue to give that team a little bit more momentum and see what they can do in playoffs again next year as well. Yeah, I like the – I mean, I know Kevin Adams put out qualifying offers to all his RFAs, so it makes sense that these are slowly rolling in. They've only got four more in Victor Olsen, R2 Rustalainen, Brett Murray, and Uko Pekka Lukanen. Uh, those are the only four RFAs left in the system, and then they got quite a few UFAs that who knows if they're coming back. But it'll be... I, I like the Byro signing just for the fact that Jack Quinn and possibly J.J. Paterka are going to get called up this year and start in Buffalo. So you're going to need some guys down there that can score. And I mean, 
the four group of Rochester and the farm system is just quite impressive. They've come a long, long way from, you know, when our, when Tim Murray was here and traded everybody for, you know, trying to improve with Evander Kane and, you know, uh, who, who are some of the Bogosian and Ryan, uh, Ryan O'Reilly. So he's definitely, Adams has done a very good job of replenishing Rochester. It's just now he's got to work on the, the defenseman. And I think Jacob Bryson is a, a solid signing. He's never going to be a top four guy, but he's a, a, a bottom two guy, possibly seventh healthy scratch guy. And I mean, your entire defense core, your young defense core and Darlene, Yoki, Haru, Power, Bryson, Samuelson, and Fitzgerald, that could be your six rolling in next year. And they're all under contract now for very cheap. I mean, Darlene's the only one making over 2.5 and he's making $6 million. Yoki Haru's the next highest at 2.5. And then Jacob Bryce is the third highest defender you're paying on this entire team right now. It's just insane what they got going on. But the, the biggest issue, and when free agency opens on Wednesday, do not be surprised if you see a ton of $750,000 deals for one-year defensemen down in Rochester because right now, Phil, they have seven total signings on the defense score. That's it. Like through the entire organization. Everybody else is free agency. It, it's, it goes on par with, you know, Craig Anderson is the only signed goalie in the entire organization right now as well. So the defense and the goaltending, do not be surprised whatsoever and do not freak out. This is a public service announcement to every fan out there that might be listening to this show. If you see a signing, do not freak out. It does not mean they're going to be playing for the Buffalo Sabres. It means Rochester has no defense core right now and they need to fill it out. I mean, Seth Appert was just on the Sabres live the other day and said, yeah, we're going to need our, our forward group is set. Like there's a ton of young guys, but our defense core, there's nobody down there. So do not be surprised if you see a bunch of one year, $750,000 deals of Rochester defensemen being signed along with goalies as well. Cause they're, they just don't have any, in the, anybody in the system right now. I do wonder if this is the the kind of player or kind of situation, I think, that if I was Adams, especially not knowing the Sabres contract situation, if you can get some of these players that were higher prospects at one point or, you know, their, yes. their, con- their NHL career is taking a bit of a dip and you can get them super cheap and get them into a two-way contract and try them in Rochester and see if they hit. I mean, it's something that... I think maybe you can just afford to pay them a little more than 750000 because you still have to get to the cap floor anyway for the Sabres. So maybe, you know, some of these players that just, again, have had a rough time in the NHL or were higher prospects at one point just have flamed out a little bit that maybe you can get the, some of these guys that were former just potential stars that just haven't done very well and you can get them to a two-way contract and just see, like, why not take a chance on some of those guys and fill your entire Rochester lineup with maybe even younger guys who, you know, were a fifth, sixth, seventh round draft pick that other teams have moved on from and just go and grab them, even if they are young and just give them a try. And just what's the the harm, especially when, like you just said, you're looking for an entire Rochester defensive team. Why not bring in as much potential talent as you possibly can, even if it doesn't end up working out great. And obviously you want a few veterans down there to, help the team and, you know, bring some of these younger guys in. So you can't, you know, fill it with all just super young hopefuls, but why not take a chance on a few here and there just to see if they can respark their career in a different uh, environment. Yeah. And uh, to speak to that, a uh, former name that we mentioned on the show a couple weeks ago, cause it was rumored, but now it's uh, the rumors are going to be coming in a lot 
heavier. Now, Lawrence Pilot, his contract with the KHL was terminated, and he does have interest in a two-year or two-way deal to get back to the NHL. So, the Sabers still own his rights right now. He does not have a contract, but he is have his rights with the Buffalo Sabers. So they get the first crack at it. Nobody else can sign him to a deal unless it's the Buffalo Sabers. And I believe he's going to be an RFA. So I, I think the other teams can sign it, but the Sabers can just match it. And I don't know why anybody would try to sign Lawrence Pilot. It makes no sense. But he could be a guy that could start off in, in Rochester if he doesn't make the lineup and then come in as a, a five, six, seventh man guy. And I can see... Yeah, honestly, it could be Bryson or Pilot going in to one of the top six positions next year if Pilot does come back on a contract. It it, it could be a Bryson versus Pilot for that six man spot. It, it honestly could, depending on what else they do in the defense corps trying to bring in a veteran because I know they're looking to do that. But it'll be it's it's it shows how far this organization has come when Lawrence Pilot was like, "Hey, I'm out here. Like I, I'm done with this. Like send me back." I'll, I'll go back to the KHL. There's no reason that I'm in the NHL when you're not even giving me a chance. So it shows how far this organization has come under Kevin Adams and Don Granado that a guy who was in the system, hated it, left for the KHL, is now interested in coming back to an organization. I think that shows how big of a turnaround this team has come. Especially with the way that he was treated. I mean, I know... Kind of yes. like you just said, it, it's not all that he just didn't want to be on, a, on the Sabres because they were bad or anything, and he just wanted to go back to the KHL. They constantly, he was just a healthy scratch for pretty much no reason. I always liked him as a prospect. I thought he played pretty well. I don't think he was a top four defenseman by any means, but he was a very solid bottom six defenseman, and he did his job well. He played well, and for some reason, he was just blacklisted on this team, and they just kind of, he was a consistent, healthy scratch, and I don't blame him for wanting to get out of that situation and just go back to the KHL where he's actually going to play. I just don't never really understood why the Sabres just had him on such a, a negative light. But like you just said, it, it, I think it speaks volumes about the organization that a player that, you know, had a very rough time on the Sabres and with the Sabres organization went back to Russia and now is interested in coming back to the NHL on a two-way deal to a team that is under different management and maybe might give him a fair chance at rejoining the NHL. And it's also not like he's been sitting around doing absolutely nothing. So playing in the KHL is also very big for his own development. He's still a very young player. So there is a very possible, very strong chance, like you just mentioned, that is a Bryson and Pilot kind of battle for that last spot because he is someone who has continued to develop just in a different country and he is someone that's still playing at a pretty good level. So it'll be interesting to see kind of how he fits in with the Sabres again and if they do resign him, but I really hope they do because at this point, I don't think you have any reason to not sign him, especially like we just said with the Rochester Americans not having any defensemen and he's willing to have a two way deal to even start in the AHL and then kind of work his way back to the NHL if he can make it. So if you can come back and sign a player like him, who's a young defenseman and you still have his rights and he can immediately just join your AHL team and give them at least a defenseman, I think that would be a really strong start for the Sabres and just a really easy pickup for a player who could end up being in your starting roster every single night. Yeah, another two guys that could be in their starting rotation every night down in a few years. Ryan Johnson and Eric Portillo, two guys from the 2019 draft who are still unsigned. Ryan Jan Johnson, first-round pick, the final first-round selection of that year, and then Eric Portillo, third-round pick. Goalie, both of the guys that are unsigned right now, two of the guys that you're desperately going to want to try to sign because if you don't get them under contract, they're going to be walking like they're going to be ufas next year if you don't get them signed by free agency of next year but they're going to be in developmental camp 
next week. And I think that's a huge step. It's it's a sign of good faith from them and the Sabres that, hey, they're not writing off that they're not signing with the Sabres. Sabres are not writing off that they don't want them anymore. I know they still don't have a contract. It sounds like both of them are still going to go back to school next year. I mean, Eric Portillo, I think, already said he's going back to Michigan next year. And Ryan Johnson, it's he's leaning towards going back to school next year. But getting them in development camp, seeing the talent that they have right now, and I mean, being around guys like Owen Power, around um, a, a few other defense, Samuelson, uh, Quinn, Paterka, getting that, it, I don't want to call it college vibe, but these guys are so young and they're so close-knit. Having them be a part of that, it might, I, I, it, it won't do any damage. That's what I'll say like that. It, it, you can't hurt their chances of signing by coming to development camp. I think that's another, because for the longest time, I'm I'm still worried, like, even if they're coming to development camp, I'm still leaning 75 to 25. They're not signing this year and going to be in free agency and you're probably going to lose them. But I think that opens the door that they're still open to coming back and signing with the Sabres. And I think I, I'm not banking on it. But it's a sign of good faith, and you know, it, like I said, it can't hurt them coming to development camp and working out with some of these other young guys. Especially Portillo. I mean, with power on yeah. the team, obviously those two have played together for a couple of years, so it's just very interesting to see Portillo just not Roommates. only want to go, huh? Put him in the same room, right? You know, and bunk them together, right? They have Owen Power talk off as the year. Just it's interesting to see him not only want to go back to college, but just kind of not have a great light on being part of the Sabres organization when your number one defenseman who's been playing in front of you and playing with you for the last couple of years of college is on that team and you just don't have the interest in really going to that team. I know UPL is here and I know Levi was just, you know, played out of his mind last year and even him going back to college is interesting, but he's a little bit younger. So if he wants to continue enjoying that college experience, more power to him. I mean, goalies take a little bit longer to develop. So even with his absolutely just insane college season he just had, if he wants to go back and develop more power to him. So I, I see Portillo just, you know, his, his mindset of, okay, they have Levi who's just goalie of the year for college and they have UPL who has been in their system. And as their you know, kind of number one goalie thought of for quite some time that he's been kind of hyped up to be the Sabres future goaltender. So I get that there's a bit of a roadblock, but having your number one defenseman that's been playing with you, and like you just said, bunk those two together, get those two together, and try to get Portillo to sign with the Sabres. And I know it's a just it's a tough situation. Like you got to do what's best for you and your career. So if he, he doesn't see, if he doesn't believe, I guess that he can win out the job from either Levi in the future or UPL, you know, in the next couple of seasons, then. I understand him wanting to go to a different organization, but at the same time, you know, maybe having Owen Power there might give even Owen Power just having a little bit of, I don't want to say control, but influence on the Sabres being like, hey, why don't you check out my goalie? Because he's really, really good. So <laughs> even him being there might have just a little bit of influence on the Sabres. And so hopefully at the very least, they can have a really good camp. And Ryan Johnson is the exact same situation where he's just looking at that roster, seeing all the young defensemen, and just does he fit there? And to me, I, I it's hard to say how he's developing. Obviously, he's developing into a very good prospect. Is he just a beyond elite prospect? It's hard to tell. But I do think he was someone who could come in and fight for a top six defensive pairing on the Sabres. But I, again, you see... The Samuelson, the Yoki Haru, the Dalene, the Power, just the the younger defensemen that this team is built around and built of, 
that you can might see just there's another roadblock of can I actually make this roster and get good starting minutes. So I don't know, like you said, them going to developmental camp is huge, and hopefully just they have a really good experience and they get a good vibe from the team and get a good vibe from Granado and Adams and they have good conversations, and hopefully they are able to sign them because obviously that's just beneficial to the Sabres to have as many solid prospects in your system as possible. But overall, if you cannot convince them, hopefully at the trade deadline they're able to trade away their rights for at least something in return. Yeah, the only thing, lastly, that I'll say about uh, Ryan Johnson, about, you know, looking at the team that they have and saying, hey, where do I fit? Where you fit is the number one pairing in Rochester. Like, there's an opening there. I mean, you got Laxkinen down there, but he struggled in the playoffs. I know he was pretty good in the regular season, but he definitely struggled in the, in the playoffs where, you know, his number one role was up in question. So there is room in Rochester. We went over this. There's nobody down there right now except for Laskinen. That's it. Like, there's nobody else in Rochester. They're going to have to bring in some veteran presences that, you know, they're going to want to give the young first-round draft pick the time down there. So he can instantly go in and be in the number one role if he signs with this team. Now, even if you sign, you can still go back to college and finish up your college career. That's perfectly fine. It's just get you under control for the three-year entry-level deal. Burn it there. I don't care. Whatever. Just get him under contract. And then even if he comes in next year, you can still be that number one role in Rochester. There's nobody else there. All the young guys are in the NHL right now. It, it's it's a proven fact. There's, they're not going to come back to Rochester. So there is a spot in Rochester for Ryan Johnson. And again, Eric Portillo, that's the one that doesn't make any sense to me, unless he just really wanted to get that fi- final college experience out of the way. And I mean, last year was his first year officially in the crease of Michigan, and they fell short. That kind of makes sense. But you, you almost wanted to see him go to Rochester and get that experience over Levi and say, hey, Levi's still in college. I can be your man. Lukanen's always hurt. There's nobody else in the bigs right now to take the time away. That's why I really thought he was going to sign in Rochester and just go like, hey, I'm going to take the reins here. I'm going to be your number one goalie down in Rochester and earn my spot and show Hey, Levi's got to come in and outplay me to get this spot. And it's just neither of these things happen. I just, uh, it's a little confusing, but I mean, they've made it this far on their own. So uh, it wouldn't surprise me to just go to UFA. But Phil, we'll move on to the draft, what everybody is listening to. They uh, had 11 picks going in. I was fully expecting them to make some trades and they made none. They picked all 11 players exactly where they were supposed to be drafting. And I think the number one thing that came out of this draft is skill and speed and I think that's exactly what they targeted for I think uh they they love their centers and I think for me there was only one issue that I have and it's not even that big of an issue whatsoever and I know you uh, we talked very briefly about it for me it's just drafting the goalie that high gave me bad vibes about Eric Portillo signing I know we just went over him saying he's coming to development camp whatever all that big stuff but having them draft a goalie that was ranked like in the 90s on prospects at 41 at the first pick of the second round for the Buffalo Sabres. It was very interesting. It's not it's not a knock against him whatsoever as a prospect. I just thought it was very early for the goalie, and it's a big question for me if they can sign Portillo. Yeah, that, by far the biggest thing that came out of this was speed and skill. Every single time that the Sabres went after someone, it was just, oh, that's a very skilled offensive player. That's a very skilled offensive player. That's a very skilled and fast offensive player. They obviously did not go after size, with a lot of these being 5'9", 5'11", 5'11". Most of these wingers that they picked up or centers that they picked up were under six feet. So clearly size was not an issue, and it just 
wasn't a big thing that they were going into thinking like, oh, we can't draft this guy because of his size. I mean, a lot of times we see that be a chip on some of these players' shoulders that, yes, they're a little smaller, but they play with a lot of speed. They play with a lot of skill and they like being that just agility kind of guy that just, you know, they they go up against a a Tyler Myers and they see him coming at him. They just deke right around him and, you know, leave him standing and just blow right past him. And I think that's something that you and I were looking for more than anything going into this draft. We were looking for that player that can simply take over a game or take over that, you know, end to end kind of situation where they use that speed, use that skill and by themselves are able to enter the offensive zone and set something up. And a lot of these guys that they picked up were not only just skills and speed, but playmakers. They were good at passing. They were good at shooting. So Honestly, the the three top guys they picked up in the first round, especially being all centers, I think, like you said, I mean, it's easier to have a center go to wing than a wing to go to center. So even if these guys necessarily might not make it as NHL centers, the fact that they are starting there and could become centers is huge for the team. And if you have to have these guys go from center to wing, it's a much easier transition than wing to center, unless your name is Tage Thompson. And we have no idea what the heck happened to him last year. And he was just incredible. But outside of that, it seems to be a much bigger transition going from wing to center than center to wing. But all three of these guys, not knowing how exactly in the first round they're going to pan out, and even some of these lower lower draft picks that they end up picking up. I mean, at least the top three, I could honestly see on the same line in the future, just kind of sprinting around everybody and just, I mean, so many of them, they all seem to kind of complement each other with their own play styles. I know all three are center, so you're unlikely to see all three on the same line, but at the same time, one or two of them were just, you know, really good at shooting. One or two of them were really good at passing and one or two of them were really good at skating. So to see all three on the same line, they all seem to complement each other and bring a different kind of aspect to their game that I think could really help the Sabres down the line. And it's something that we haven't seen in recent years. The Sabres have been very defensive heavy as we keep talking about how young their defensive core is right now. And they finally kind of caught up and grew up. And a lot of the draft picks that they've had recently that have been top defensemen are now in the NHL. And their offensive player pool was very weak now that Quinn and Paterka look like they might be graduating or very soon will be. So their offensive kind of prospects were a little bit weaker than they have been, but now you've just absolutely loaded up on offense and it looks really, really good for the offensive players. But as far as the goalie, to me, the biggest thing with him, and I think that I think I don't know, having three first round picks, I think is kind of where the goalie comes from for me. And from what I could tell him from what the Sabres kind of mentioned that there was a huge drop off after this goalie that if they didn't get him in the second, if they didn't get him at all, I know they wanted to draft a goalie that this was like the goalie to get. And after him, there's just a very big drop off in talent. It wasn't a very top goalie talented draft. So this seemed to be the guy to go get. And for me, Having three first-round picks that were very, again, center-heavy, wing-heavy, you got exactly what you wanted in your prospect pool in that first round. So even though it was a little bit high to go for the goalie, he seemed to be the number one goalie in this draft. And to me, goalies take a long time to develop. So I know I saw some people say, like, oh, you have Portillo, you have UPL, you have Levi, so... Why are you drafting another goalie? But goalies take a long time to develop, and it's also impossible to tell how goalies are going to eventually pan out in the NHL. I mean, we really hope all three of those hit, and it would be amazing for the Sabres if they all hit and sign, but you just don't know what's going to happen. I mean, even UPL has had a ton of injury issues already into his career, so you don't know what he's going to be. So it's kind of hard to tell 
where goalie prospects are going to end up. So I think getting another young goalie in the system, I have absolutely no problem with it. And at the very least, if you can sign all of these young goalies and even sign this guy, you know, in the future, goalies are very good trade chips on top of anything. So if you can trade away a good prospect goalie because you have too many good prospect goalies, I would absolutely never think that that's going to be an issue. So I think for the Sabres to have three first round draft picks and then take a goalie with their second round pick and take the best goalie in the draft, I think that just a big thing for them and a big trade chip in the future. If all three of your goalies end up signing and panning out that you currently have, that you can have a prospect young goalie again, developing in your system because it just takes so long for these goalies to develop. So I think it's just, it's an interesting move for sure. And I know some people are going to say it's too early, but if he was the best out there and you had three first round picks to go and really address the needs that you wanted on this team, I think it's still a good pick. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm going to hit on what you said, that goalies take forever to develop. He's probably a good four to five years before you even think about him cracking a Buffalo Sabres lineup. Like, that's at the minimum. Like, And I, I think that's a good... Portillo and Levi are probably a year or two away. Lukanen, he's probably a year away. And that, I think, is a good way to handle the goalie department where, hey... You need to give goalies two or three years in the bigs to see, hey, can you crack it or can't you? If they can't crack it, then you go to the next one. I mean, if Lucan can't crack it, you got Levi and Portillo right behind him. If Levi and Portillo can't do it, Lindenin, the guy they just drafted in the second round, can possibly crack it. So I, I don't mind them taking a goalie. It was just a big head scratcher to see them take it that early. And I completely understand that there's a big drop off between what happens after him and the next goalie. And it was it was one of the weakest goalie markets in the in recent years I mean he's the latest goalie drafted in probably close to 10 years I think I saw but him being the fifth highest goalie taken in Sabres history ever I mean that's behind Martin Baran and Mika Noren and guys like that it's 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 a big investment for a position that you wouldn't think they would need to invest on I like the idea behind it and it, it completely makes sense if he's your guy go get him and who are we to question it it's just for a guy that was ranked in the 90s to 100s, it's it's a very big head scratching, especially some of the other talent that was out on the on the draft board right now, and you're taking a goalie this high. It, that that's my only question mark for me. I love his size, 6'5", 233. He's a huge presence back there. I mean, under the in the U20 team for Finland, he, the, I saw some people saying he was their hero. He was keeping him in the game. I mean, you went 9-16, save percentage 2.28 goals against in the under 20. Good numbers, solid numbers, best rank goalie, very quick, sharp IQ. I like everything about him, except for his draft position, just based on who else was on the board at that point. that That's the only critique I have for Lindenin, for me at least. I, I mean, think, if he turns out to be a good goalie, I'll eat my words. I think for me, though, it doesn't happen if you don't have three first-round picks. I think that's just, I, agree. I think yes, that's the yes. big thing. If the Sabres go in with one first-round pick and he's your second pick, I think I would have a bigger issue with it, but getting three first round picks and again, really addressing the need that they had with those three first round picks. I don't think it's a huge reach to go and get your goalie in the second round. Again, if you're looking at just one first round pick and he's your second pick overall, and it's a second round pick. And it's like you said, it's that big of a kind of a reach. Then I think you have a bigger issue with it, but getting three top talented players that could easily make the NHL lineup in their future. And then he's your fourth pick. And I know it's weird to say that your second round pick is your fourth pick of the draft, but I think that had everything to do with it this year. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, 100%. I think 
I think you hit the nail on the head there where it's if they don't have three first round picks, heck, if they don't even have if they have two first round picks, I don't right. think the goalie's the pick there. But because you had the three three first round picks, you had a little bit more you know, capabilities to do that with. And, and like Phil, we've said multiple times, we are not goalie or uh, prospect NHL prospect people whatsoever, hockey prospects. We are, that is not our expertise. They're too, they take too long to develop to have us invest the time. I mean, we're pretty much like a two man show figuring out, you know, the, the docket Pat does all the behind the work <laughs> scenes, stuff like that. But being a two-man show here that work full-time jobs and stuff like that, we have to pick and choose where we invest our time and hockey prospects just don't crack it for us. So we have to rely (laughs) on other people. So with that, I think instead of going over all 11 players and just talking out our butts on what we think of all these picks, uh, maybe just go over the one prospect or the one pick that you like the most out of this entire draft. For me, I know exactly who I'm picking. I think you know exactly who I'm picking, but I'd like to hear who you thought was your favorite pick of the year. I mean, it could be Matt Savoy, the first overall pick for the Buffalo Sabres, ninth overall. It could be him. It could be the last pick. I have no idea who you're going to go with here. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's it's boring to take Savoy, but I think just so many people had him ranked as even a higher prospect than they got him yes, at nine. Yep. And I think his size kind of scared a few people away, but it just seems like he is the just the, the typical player that the Sabres needed right now. Again, he has a very good shot. He's very fast. He has the passing ability. He's just everything that encompasses a star forward. And it's something that the Sabres are just missing right now. They just don't have too many players that have that flash. I know Skinner kind of just has it every once in a while. Tage is more of just your big guy. Tuck's more of your big guy. They just have... They don't really just have that speed, that just pure, you know, that Patrick Kane, I guess, is you just don't have a player on your team that has that ability. And I think Savoy does have that ability, and I think he's going to develop into a great prospect. And again, some people had him ranked as high as fourth, and the Sabres were able to get him ninth. So I think overall, the Sabres absolutely nailed that draft pick, and he is a great-looking draft pick. And I think he's going to be a very good star and a very good player for the Sabres moving forward and just imagining him and Quinn and possibly Paterka and just the offensive talent they currently have. I mean, I think the Sabres are slowly putting together again, even though he was a top 10 pick, you're not going to see him for two to three years. So getting overly excited about him, it's, it's going to be a little bit before we see him in a Sabres uniform. But overall, I think it was a very good pick. And I think he's going to be a very exciting player. And it was something that the Sabres just have a, a big hole on offense that they're missing that kind of player. Yeah, uh, I was very happy with this pick that I'm about. I mean, I thought the Sabres nailed this draft whatsoever. From everything I'm reading, I think they they hit on every single thing. I mean, they got the speed, they got the talent. They they didn't worry about getting those goons like the six foot four guys, six foot five guys that are going to lay the hit because everybody's saying like I, I saw it all over Twitter. Oh, your draft is such small guys. When are you going to start getting big? They have Tage Thompson. They have. Owen Power, they have Matt, Matthias Samuelson. The, the the height is already there. I mean, they're not short guys, and this league is getting away from the big-time bruisers. You need speed to win in this league, and I think that's a great thing. Sabres are usually behind the times in drafting speed like that, so I love Kevin Adams drafting the speed. For me, I'm going to third-round pick. Victor Neukev, uh, Neuchef, Neuchef, I'm sorry, Neuchef, Victor Neuchef. 5'11", 165 winger. 
In the MHL in 61 games, he had 41 goals and 27 assists. He led the team in goals and points, third in the league in goals, eighth in the league in points. He had 363 shots in those 63 games, Phil, which led the junior league and was 53 more shots than the second place person. It's just some people ranked him as high as 34 to get him at 74. Yes, another Russian. I'm perfectly fine with the Buffalo Sabres going Russian Russians because for the longest time they went four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years without just completely staying away from the Russians whatsoever. There is talents all over the world to completely exclude a country from drafting talented players. It's just a huge question mark for me. So I, I think this draft pick having him get drafted at 74, where some people have him as ranked high as 34. I think this is a great thing. And for uh, Victor Olofsson, who I know they're both sides are still trying to talk to get him back to have a guy in the system, very similar to uh, Victor Olofsson, but can also score on five on five. I think that's a huge thing to bring into this team. And yes, he's not a center, which is weird because they drafted seven or five centermen, but to draft a winger who has this kind of shot that can develop and has a huge chance to make it in this league because you can't teach the shot. I, I love this pick for the Buffalo Sabres. And especially kind of what we were just talking about. I mean, we had slightly different opinions on the goalie, but if you told me that, I mean, <laughs> we'll do exactly what we did with the Buffalo Bills, and I will flip this on you. Yep, if you got the goalie yep. in the third and you got Noichad yep. in the second, then I'm, I'm sure you're absolutely thrilled with this draft. So 100%. if you are able to flip those two picks and again, kind of that, that what round you get him in looks awkward, no matter what, like, Oh, we got a second round goalie. But if you get him in the third round, you're like, Oh, that's a great pick. And Noichev fell so far. Like you said, he was ranked as high as 34. So if you got him in the second round, you're like, Oh, that's a great pick. And, oh, we got a goalie in the third round. That's amazing. So for them to be able to get both the top goalie and then have Noichev fall to them in the third. And if you flip those picks, I think a lot of people are very happy with the draft. So again, you kind of got to think about it like that. Same with we did with the linebacker. And I forgot who else we flipped him with for the Bills draft to make me feel a little bit better. It was a wide receiver. Yeah, that's who it was. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. Good way to twist it on me, Phil. I did that to you. You did it to me. It's it's (laughs) we're we're in sync again, Phil. We're back in sync. Yeah, I I think that's a great way to put it. If you would have gotten him in the second and Linden in the third, it looks a lot better. So I mean, uh, that's that's all you got to do is just uh, flip those in your brain and boom, they nailed the entire draft 100%. Yeah, the rest of them, again, they went a lot of skill kind of even toward the end of the draft. I know Richard was someone that a lot of people in the sixth round, 170 overall, yep. that people were mentioning that his game is looking very good in 57 and 56 games. Sorry, he put up 57 points, 18 goals, 39 assists. And I think they said that his game looks very mature and he's going to continue looking good into college. So he's someone that might end up being a late round developmental player that ends up hitting. And then Lingren, the left-handed defenseman, the first defenseman they got is a very offensive defenseman with 39 assists, five goals in 68 games. So they said he is not a huge defensive guy. It's not something that he is going to be kind of known for. It's not going to be his defense that, you know, makes his way in the NHL, but his offensive ability, his ability to start plays from the defensive side, his passing and his just ability to make offensive chances from defense is very, very good. And it's something that we've seen the Sabres kind of gear their defense toward as being that offensive defenseman versus the shutdown defenseman like a Samuelson who is still very important. And honestly, his offensive game was starting to step up late in the season as well. So 
I think that was also a great pick. And to see them only go with two defensemen, I think it's just, again, telling of what they think they have in their system versus what they needed. And they needed wingers. They needed centers. They needed offense because they've gone so defensive heavy in the last couple of drafts. So to see them get a fourth and a fifth round defenseman, one left, one right, I think that does help kind of just revamp your prospect pool. Like you just said, they have no defensemen currently in Rochester. So you do have to start getting some defensemen back in to start developing again. But I think this draft was all about offense and I'm very happy with the way that they went very skilled and fast players to see how they kind of develop over the next few years. So well done Buffalo Sabres. You pleased the BSC here. We love the draft and uh, uh, that's uh, that's pretty much all we got to talk about with the draft there, Phil. But I guess there's there anything else you want to add to this show before we close it out? I'm very excited for free agency, even though I am sure it's going to be a big letdown um, because the Sabres have already proven with some of their moves that they are not going to make too many splashes, which is understandable. But at the same time, I think you and I would both like to see them overpay for something for a two-year contract to get just kind of some... What? Goalie. Goalie. Right, goalie would be... Goalie's going to be obviously the number one thing we're kind of keeping an eye on going into free agency, whether it becomes from a, a trade or just signing someone... We'll have to see what they can bring in, but even just adding some kind of veteran present who still has a little bit of talent and, you know, on a two year deal, even if you got to overpay for just get a little bit more excitement in the in the system. But overall, I think it's going to be it was it was a really good draft and it was something I don't I don't really know what we were expecting out of the draft this year. I mean, the three first we were expecting more trades for sure, but I don't know. Yes. As far as, you know, players that they were going to draft and just how the draft was going to go. I didn't really have a good or a bad feeling going into it. I didn't really know if they were going to do great or do bad. But like you said, reading everything that we've kind of read, the Sabres seem to be winners in most um, most articles for winners and losers of the draft. The Sabres seem to be toward the top of winners. So excellent job by Adams kind of revamping the prospect pool. And I saw a few articles say that the Sabres added to an already deep prospect pool. So that's always good to read. So we'll see what uh free agency has in store for us. Yeah, free agency opens on Wednesday, but sadly for us, we will not have a show on Friday. We have a company retreat. Yes, our full company is going on a uh, nice little retreat this weekend, but we do have a special BSC draft for all of you. So on Friday, listen for that one. We're recording this one on uh, actually today. So as you guys are listening, we're going to be working as well because we never stop working. But we will be back Monday the 18th for our regularly scheduled shows, getting into the all the moves that happen in free agency for the, the Buffalo Sabres and the NHL as a whole. You know, Hopefully we have some goalie news to break, some defensemen that are going to Rochester and you know, we'll cover everything there. We got the whole series that Iowa Cubs are with the the, the Buffalo Bisons, anything that breaks with the, the Bandits, you know, now that the expansion draft is over and free agency is opening up on the the 1st of August to see if they can get some of their UFA signed, Buchanan and Brownell and a few other guys. So it'll be very interesting to see what happens down the line. But it's, uh, it's going to be a jam-packed Monday show because we don't have anything on Friday. But remember, uh, draft, and we're going to need your votes. And, uh, It's going to be another fun one, a very interesting one, episode six of it, and uh, hopefully you all will listen to it because I'm excited to record it. It's going to be a really good one for summer. Summer, yes. Summer summer theme is big time. Yeah, and we'll probably be doing some of these on a retreat. There's a little teaser for you. But thank you all for listening to another episode of the Buffalo Sports Collective. Follow along with us on Facebook and Instagram at Buffalo Sports Collective and on Twitter at Buffalo Sports Co. Visit our website at buffalosportscollective.com. Subscribe to our channel wherever you listen to podcasts. And make sure you leave us a review on Apple and Spotify. Until next time, bye bye